Hi there, thanks for downloading the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where a couple of old friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order and then convene to talk about what they saw. Talking about it from the standpoint of young people who grew up with the show, never fell out of love with it, and then taking a careful look at it and coming back and comparing our reflections as a young person, as a not-so-young person. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named... Hoover... Mm. So we're like well beyond you doing punny names for yourself on these. Well, honestly, just about every week I look at the title of the episode and usually something doesn't come to mind. So it's the <laughs> fault of the episode writers who name the episodes right. really dumb things that can't <laughs> be made puns with my name in them. It's it's by no means a lack of your imagination. No. It's, 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 it's a other lack people's of the fault. writers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've been on social media lately. All right. <laughs> so what episode are we talking about this week? This episode is War Dawn. Mm. And this can be found at Season 2, Episode 43 on Tubi, if you would like to watch it. And I recommend that you do. Mm. So who wrote it? Well, this is by David Wise, and he has oh. written quite a few episodes in a row. You may remember that name from Attack of the Autobots. Yeah. Day of the Machines. Oh. Microbots. Hmm. Make Tracks. Hey. The Secret of Omega Supreme. Hooray! Kremzeek. Oh. Autobop. Ah. The Girl Who Loved Powerglide. All right. And the key to Vector Sigma 1 and 2. Woo, woo, woo! Oh, my gosh. Wow, he's, he's on an upswing. He is picking up script slots like Frank Welker picked up character cards <laughs> in the beginning. He's the Frank Walker of writers. Before I get to my IMDb cold read of the log line for this episode, I'm curious if there's any broad strokes that you want to put at the top of this one, how you feel about War Dawn as an episode, because I could tell you that this one did have an FHE tape. I know that for a fact because I still have the box. <laughs> and if anybody remembers the FHE video cassette tapes, they actually put a comic on the back that like mm-hmm. summarized the episode, which was very appealing to me. And I watched the living heck out of this episode, like a lot. I've watched it so many times that there were entire sequences where I was like, yep, I can speak right along with the episode. <laughs> what about... And, and and I have a lot of fondness for this one in a lot of ways, but I'm curious how you feel about it. Well, I definitely saw it as a kid, but I don't think it was one of those that I saw over and over. I definitely did not run it into the ground and memorize it as you did. <laughs> I did not have the FHE tape. But David Wise knows how to inject lore into a season two episode at this point. Because it seems like in the beginning, not so much. But Mm -hmm. once he got around the secret of Omega Supreme, you know, he starts injecting some origin stories and some Cybertron history and that sort of thing. So that makes this episode... Somewhat unique for a season two episode because it has that lore introduction. So yeah. I appreciate it for that. But it's not something that I watched and rewatched. It's not an episode that I love so much that I would choose to put it on. But mm-hmm. it's very interesting and it's I recommend that anyone with a fondness for Transformers, the lore and the continuity and everything, watch this because as we'll find out, something rather important happens in it. 
Yeah, there's there's a huge in, event that introduces a whole new layer of lore into the whole series. And it was such a potent thing that they introduced in this one that it got reiterated in the comics and even in later iterations of the cartoon. So in Transformers Prime, they revisit the ideas that are ex expressed in this episode. Mm -hmm. I, I want to say that, yes, that's part of the reason that I watched this one so much. Also, as we talked about in some early 4 million years later episodes, we didn't have all of these episodes on tape. We only right. had the FHE tapes, maybe a handful of episodes we recorded off of television. I lost all mine. So the six or seven episodes I had on FHE tapes got a lot of plays. <laughs> <laughs> but also, as I talked about last week, you know, War Dawn is an Aerial Bots episode, and I... I forgot how much I connected with Silverbolt. <laughs> and he talks a lot like Young Jersey did in this episode. It was, <laughs> and as I'm watching it, I'm like, ooh, I was kind of a drag to be friends with when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody who's really familiar with my work and, and listen to any of my other podcasts, I did a show a couple years ago called The Galaxy of Super Adventure, which was like a radio play slash art discussion show. And the character I play, like the version of myself I play on that is a lot like Silverbolt. He's like this... this <laughs> He's just so condescendingly uptight and moral. <laughs> and, and as I watch it, I'm like, oh, ooh, it, it's got uncomfortable at times. So anyway, I don't want to get ahead of us. We're going to learn some really interesting stuff about the Transformers in this one and about the aerial bots. And now, as I look at the clock, I see that it's time to read the IMDb logline. And as we have mentioned in past episodes, I never read them beforehand. I always try to do this cold to see if I, if, I, if I tumble over top of the odd grammatical structures that they often introduce into these log lines. Here we go. <clears throat> Some aerial bots start to have doubts about their cause. Some have started to admire Megatron and are thinking of switching sides. They get pulled into a time warp and end up on Cybertron before the current war began. They'll discover more about Megatron and the origin of one of their own. <laughs> Commas are hot properties these days, apparently. <laughs> let's put one here, let's put one here, let's put one here. I mean, grammatically, it is correct, except that first comma should be a semicolon because that is a complete sentence. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so, not too bad. I, did, I didn't fall down and hurt myself on this one. So, okay, IMDb, you get a pass on, on this one. So, <laughs> B minus. <laughs> We're <laughs> taking it away. Where do we begin on this one? Well, we start off with something that brings a smile to my face. The three original Seekers. Not mm. Dirge, Ramjet, and Thrust, but Starscream, Skywarp, and Thundercracker. And they're being chased by the aerial bots. Come on, guys! We've got to stop those Decepticons! All this fuss over some stupid humans! Stupid humans? They only happen to be half of this planet's leaders! Okay, now, 27 seconds in, I'm already confused. At first I thought, humans are only half the planet's leaders? Like, <laughs> like are there giraffes and tigers and other animals that make up the other half of the planet's leaders? Honestly, I guess giraffes and tigers don't really fill us in on their elected officials, so maybe. But maybe they've filled in Silverbolt. And then I thought, well, maybe it's half the world leaders that Starscream has kidnapped? But even half the world leaders would be a large number. Google tells me that Earth has 195 countries. So I guess that's what's implied here. Is that how you took it? That, that is how I read it. And let's not forget, the aerial bots are new to Earth. So maybe it's like 
United Nations Council or something, and Silverbolt's just like, oh my gosh, that's all the leaders in the world, right? <laughs> Who knows? But yes, so we start off with huge stakes. They haven't just kidnapped humans. They've kidnapped the leaders. Now, I'm looking at Silverbolt side-eyed with Spike and Chip Chase over here saying, like, any human is an important person <laughs> to chase after if Starscream's captured them, Silverbolt. You don't have to, but I guess Slingshot did say stupid humans. So, mm. mixed bag on this one. <laughs> anyway. So the Seekers don't like the five to three odds here. We've got the Aerobots on our tails! And then we get lots of dogfighting. Remember when there were only seven different jets whose color scheme they needed to keep straight? Well, now there's five more, so we do get some coloring errors too. But the Seekers and Aerobots take turns impressing one another with their acrobatic flying. But five against three isn't faring well for the Decepticons, as both Thundercracker and Skywarp take some damage. So... I do love some of the shots in this. Okay, so let's be clear. This episode does not have great animation. We are Mm-mm. heading face first into season three animation where it starts to get progressively not so great and then like a couple of gems stand out. But there are a number of shots that are staged really well and I do love it whenever they do those forced perspective shots on the Decepticon jets in jet mode. Like that shot of Starscream trying to get away from the aerial bots looks really great. So it's worth looking up at some of the scenes, but whew, you're not going to see fluid motion <laughs> no. from here on out. And for such an important episode to have such really not great animation is kind of a drag. Unfortunately, we're pretty well used to that by now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so Starscream decides that the best way to get the aerial bots off their backs is to drop the human prisoners he's holding. So a little cargo door opens on the bottom of his jet and outspill a good dozen humans. The aerial bots all manage to catch the humans by flying under them, and somehow no one dies as they fall into the metal hull of an airplane at an acceleration of 32 feet per second each second. (laughs) Secret fact, the aerial bots are made out of cotton. Well, they are so skilled as flyers that they actually compensate for that acceleration. They actually drop down further and they, you know, sort of let the people gently fall on them as they, relatively speaking, speed downward together. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> now, now that's me like trying to get my no prize. But one thing that you can't get a no prize for is the scaling issues that are going on here. First of all, Starscream. I'm pretty sure that two people can fit in his cockpit tops. And he opens up his belly and like 15 or 20 people fall out. There, there's <laughs> half the planet's leaders, 15 or 20 people. But then they start falling on the, the aerial bots. And when they fall on Silverbolt, who is a Concorde supersonic jet, like you look at the people and look at the windows on Silverbolt's side. It's like the scaling is way wacky here. <laughs> so unless, unless he's like a one-fifth scale Concorde in jet mode, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> But otherwise, they couldn't have shown it on screen. This is an issue where you're dealing with a cartoon for kids, so it's like nobody's going to notice this. We got If we show that there are actually people falling on him and show all of Silverbolt, you're going to have to make a compromise someplace, and that's where they made it. Well, then we cut away to the arc where the aerial bots march in, still singing the praises of the flying prowess of the Seekers. Ratchet is no fan of this. But Slingshot and Skydive are steadfast until Silverbolt points out that they're evil. They dumped people into the air. And Slingshot has an answer for everything. 
Ah, maybe it was an accident. You arrogant young punks. If you've been fighting those deceptive creeps as long as we have, you wouldn't... That's the point, Ironhide. The aerial bots were only created a few weeks ago. They'll understand soon enough. So this is something that I want to make sure that I allow for the fact that perhaps I'm speaking from nostalgia and fondness for an episode that I've watched so many times. But I do love how Optimus's last line underscores an anticipated sorrow. They'll learn soon enough. To Optimus, it's unfortunate they have to learn this lesson, right? Mm -hmm. He left it open for them to learn this lesson when he had them created by Vector Sigma. He said, let them think and grow and learn for themselves. So he knows what they're in for. He knows they're in for a rude awakening when they finally... And it also... Everybody, pay attention to that line. They'll learn soon enough. That is earned wisdom that Optimus is speaking from right there, everybody. We will find out the gravity of that statement coming from Optimus's mouth, <laughs> right? So I also think, is there room here for me to go on a little jag about like the tween's desire to rush to adulthood? Yeah. There's this idea when you're... When you're 13, you start to realize that you have some ability and you get like the idea of being a grown up starts getting really, really exciting and you get impatient for it. And that can cause all sorts of troubles. So I love this idea of modeling the story through the aerial bots who are new like us. They have younger voices like us. They are brand new to the series like us. The characters are reminding them that they're young and that they were only created recently. So while we're sort of with them in that these are the exciting new characters that I've told mom and dad to buy me like a dozen times, <laughs> they're about to experience something that I was probably experiencing around the same time as you begin to play around with identity. And yeah, dad says it's bad to do this thing, but I don't see the inherent badness of it. I don't understand. Why is he always harping on him? Don't do that thing, right? <laughs> so... We also need to mention this, Hoover. You were clapping at the top of the episode because we see the original Secret Jets. This scene could not have worked without Starscream, Thundercracker, and Skywarp, right? <laughs> if, it, if it was Thruster, Jaramjet, and Slingshot's like, those guys are incredible! <laughs> <laughs> His argument would be popped like a balloon by Silver Bullet. Like, he, he doesn't have to bring up the fact that they're evil. He doesn't have to talk about dumping people. He's like, you know you're talking about Dirge. <laughs> and then the other girl about to be like, wah, wah. And Slingshot would be like, ah, you're right. They, they aren't that great. So it's funny to me they had to roll out the original Seekers to say, okay, we got to have them look up at somebody. Well, we have them look up to those Jets because nobody's going to look up to these other three Yahoos. I also like to think that since this is a rare instance of the same writer writing a few episodes in a row, that Dirge, Ramjet, Thrust are in timeout, sort of, with Megatron <laughs> after that failure to get the super fuel. Ah. Uh, so he's like... There you go. It's not like he wanted to get Starscream back in command or anything, but mm -hmm. <laughs> Dirge, Ramjet, and Thrust just irritated him so much. He's like, okay, you three, <laughs> don't be like them. <laughs> oh... But then interrupting the aerial bot Autobot confrontation is Teletran 1, who chimes in with the top 40, I mean, I potential mean, Decepticon activity. There's weird energy readings coming from Cybertron. Jack has a look and is shocked. Neither he nor Prime have seen such readings before. And who knows how intentional this was, but the screen reads 2005, which is kind of an important number in Transformers history. Could be a little tease or something. Yeah. Who knows? It could have been an Easter egg. Probably wasn't, but I had to notice it. 
So this necessitates taking Omega Supreme to Cybertron to investigate. And the aerial bots are excited at the thought of seeing Cybertron again, as they board Omega Supreme along with Prime, Wheeljack, Ratchet, and Ironhide. And then we cut away to the original Recipe Seekers classic. Starscream <laughs> is using some kind of welding torch to repair Skywarp. Those stinking aerial bots broke my wing. Can you believe it? You fools! You let those Battlebot buckets beat you again! Do you realize what this means? As long as the aerial bots live, my supremacy of the skies is threatened! So, as Megatron says that last line, did you notice how Thundercracker, like, walks into the scene and what he's doing? <laughs> Well, I think he's like holding his hand because Skywarp was complaining about his wings, so I don't know if Thundercracker's arm got damaged or what. Oh, that's how you read that? I read it as mm. he's like, oh, please don't yell at me, Megatron. Could <laughs> Looks be. Looks like he's pleading. <laughs> it could definitely be that because Megatron is a yelling. Yeah, that's true. Well, just then, Soundwave chimed in via the computer with some news. The Autobots are headed for Cybertron. They must have detected Shockwave's work on the Chronosphere! Are the aerial bots with them? Possible. Excellent! I may yet destroy those miserable jets! Activate the space bridge! Chronosphere, huh? Chrono equals time, and sphere equals a ball shape. So I bet it's a nightclub that Shockwave's building with all sorts of neon lights and disco balls, mm. and music from a wide range of times. Oh. So it'll be the hottest dance club in the universe. <laughs> and then we cut to Cybertron, and there's no nightclub. But we do get a pretty sweet vertical view, at the sweep up of the Cybertron landscape again. And I love it when they take the time to do it. So despite this episode not having terrific animation, at least we get a few cool background paintings in it. Mm -hmm. Megatron and his bunch arrive, and he has Starscream ask the question for us. What is this chronosphere, Megatron? A time machine. I plan to use it to travel to the past, to steal energy from the era before the war when Cybertron had plenty of power. But now, it will make a perfect trap for those miserable Aerobots. So the Decepticons can just build a time machine now? That seems a bit much. <laughs> seems like that would have been step one if you could always do this. <laughs> well, I also like that like he's just gonna go back and steal energy. He's not gonna use it to go like back and you know kill right. Alpha Trion or something like that. It's not gonna be something like maybe something like Beast Wars Megatron might try later on. <laughs> but his his is like I'm just gonna pick the pockets of people fast and no one will know. <laughs> yeah. As a leader, Megatron rarely thinks outside the box. I have to I have to be that critical with him. <laughs> So the Autobots arrive, which has dwindled much of Omega's reserves. Optimus orders him to shut down until they return with energy for him. But the first order of business is to get to the bottom of the energy readings. The Aerialbots fly over the planet and love what they see way more than the geography of Earth. But their love of the look of Cybertron has to wait because here comes the Seekers looking for a little payback for before. They fire on the Aerialbots, but Slingshot transforms and yells at them. Wait! Hold it! We don't want to fight! What are you guys doing? We just want to talk for a minute! Huh? Are those guys crazy? Crazy? Or even dumber than I suspected! 
Hades will talk. What do you want to know? I want to know why Optimus Prime thinks you're evil. <laughs> that old rust bucket doesn't know a thing about Decepticons. Stick with me. I'll teach you some things about the Decepticons, all right? <laughs> How do you feel about Starscream doing the okay buddies? <laughs> <laughs> I love I love how extraordinarily bad he is at coming <laughs> across as nice. <laughs> it feels stilted. You, you really hear how fake it is, but like the aerobots are just such such dunderheads. They're just like, oh, I I don't understand it. Why does Optimus say you're bad? <laughs> Never mind, you're just trying to kill me a second ago. <laughs> Now, Silverbolt oh. did not follow the others. He's still flying above and observing all this, just like young Jersey. Oh, and even the way he says, like, I don't believe this. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. As I look back at my childhood, I realized I was just brainy smurf. <laughs> I, I ran inside. I'm like, teacher, this kid's doing things he shouldn't be doing. Because <laughs> that's what Silverbolt does. <laughs> well, the other four aerobots are about to go off with Starscream. Silverbolt radios into Prime, who thinks it's all part of a trap. Teacher! Teacher! <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> then we cut back to the four aerial bots following the Seekers. Starscream is promising them that the Decepticons are a swell bunch. <laughs> a swell bunch? He literally says that! <laughs> and do we have fun, he says! Oh, actually, this is like ranking pretty high on Chris Lotta's performance as Starscream. Yeah. He was great in the Search for Alpha Triumph, but like the the sheer obvious condescension <laughs> in his voice in this one is so good. <laughs> oh, Megatron, hidden in the shadows, laughs at the Aerobots' naivete. Silverbolt lands and starts spying on the group as Starscream tells them to have a seat on this weird fluoro dairy thing. Describe a jersey because I don't think I can. <laughs> I tried to go over the short version of describing it. It's like Robo Neko wafers overlapping over some Cloud City antenna, <laughs> right? So you know how in Cloud City had all those antenna pointing down towards the ground that Luke Skywalker hangs off of mm -hmm. at the end. So it's kind of like that. It's like this mess of these weird little antennas coming off of these like three giant overlapping green discs that have computer lights and like sort of fins coming out of them. But leading up to it, the staircase to get on top of this pile of Necco wafers are a bunch of little Necco wafers. The staircase is actually little weird flat circles. It does not fit into the, the rest of the geography. The, the room they're in, and this is important, everybody, the room they're in is, is a complete wreck. It's a, it's a devastated building from the ancient wars of Cybertron. That's going to come into play later on. But right in the middle of it is this bright green series of overlapping discs. And in the middle of one of the biggest discs is a series of chairs <laughs> that you sit in. And Starscream's like, go have a seat over there, and I'll tell you all about how cool the being Decepticon is. And then, yeah, Silverbolt runs up to them, doesn't he? <laughs> Silverbolt rushes up, and he's certain that they're about to spring a trap. And then Megatron springs a trap. Ba -bom. The aerial bots are contained in a pink spherical force field, and with the push of another button, they disappear. Megatron claims they'll be trapped in eternal nothingness before the galaxy existed. Mm. Just then, Optimus bursts in, literally burst in, driving through the wall, Kool-Aid Man style, <laughs> with the other Autobots following him. The Seekers fire upon them, and a whole brouhaha starts. And then we get some very questionable science from Prime. 
only one way to stop that machine before it takes the aerial bots back to the beginning of time, and that's to destroy it. Okay, I don't know that that logic really holds up well. Presumably you'll need the machine to get them back, but okay, John Wayne, we'll do it your way. Right, right. It's like, perhaps, that once it's activated, the whole cycle's going to run itself through whether or not the machine is on. Mm -hmm. Right? But but instead, yeah, Optimus comes in and is like, break the thing! <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait a second. Where did the wise leader go? But they had to have some way for him to stop the thing in process because of what happens next. But I, I guess that works. <laughs> Optimus, you're just being a little rash, a little excitable. We see the machine explode, and the aerial bots tumbling through space-time. Then they come to a stop, and the pink sphere around them dissipates, dropping them onto the surface of somewhere. Megatron calls for a retreat, leaving the Autobots with the smoking chronosphere. Prime has deduced that the aerial bots are trapped in the past, and judging by the information on the screen, he thinks they're on Cybertron nine million years ago. And that sounds like a good time for a commercial break. Always with the peril. Introduce peril. Introduce wallet. Introduce mall. Let's go shopping. What are we going to get? Well, speaking of a machine that goes back to the past, we also have a machine that takes us back to the past. It's called YouTube. Oh. And it's showing us commercials for products long past. Oh, wow. And since we're visiting another planet this episode, all these commercials are for aliens from space. All right. Like the Sectars, Warriors of Symbion. The Battle of the Sectors begins. Heroic Dargon, leader of the forces of good, is ambushed by evil Sectors. With the help of his loyal insectoid Dragonfire, he fights them off. But they're just bait for the real trap. A far more treacherous enemy is waiting. The evil General Spytrax. Cool puppet monsters with wings and then action figures that can ride on the puppet monsters. And the commercials were set up to be like little serials, weren't they? Like as in serialized yeah, fiction. little, little stories, Tune in next little to... cartoons as you were. I remember Sectars as a child. I don't remember the commercials really grabbing mm -hmm. me in any way. I don't, they don't, I don't have them memorized the way I do certain commercials. So I have no idea how 11-year-old me received this whole tune-in next time for the next <laughs> part where the kid throws a net on another toy and then he, is the toy going to get out of the net? We'll see. <laughs> I, I imagine it didn't work, but it's, it's a good try. And Sectars looked cool, but it was weird that they all had bug faces, right? Yeah, I mean, the problem was they were going against He-Man because they were roughly the same size and roughly the same ah. concept. And He-Man already had its foot firmly established at this point. So anything that came along that was a little too He-Man-esque was just like, oh, this is just trying to be He-Man. So it's like I wasn't into any of these little lines. Yeah, I would say that the Sectars, both to their credit and their curse, had a more cohesive design language in there, whereas He-Man felt more <laughs> spaghetti well, at the wall. Yeah, but that was also <laughs> what sort of went against it because you could you could take right. any sector and put him in the he-man situation and characters and all that he would blend right in just because because the design range of masters of the universe was like pretty much anything went you know if you wanted a <laughs> yeah. savage barbarian yeah. fine right. if you wanted a technological robot fine you know it's like anything yep. fit so to have a line come out later that was like so specific 
It was like all bug guys. Well, that's less interesting. I, can, I already have He-Man who has a bug guy in it. Buzz off. That's true. And He-Man had that sort of five-year-old sort of aesthetic of multi-bot, evil robot of a thousand bodies. Right? Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like it's being described to you by a younger child. Whereas Sectars felt more cohesive, and I think that actually kind of worked against it in this case. All mm -hmm. right, so I I might get General Spydrax. He does look a little bit scary, so I'll get him. But what else you got? Well, how about the thunder, 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 cats? Introducing Thundercats Berserkers. Was that Victor Caroli in this Thundercats commercial? Because if it is, I'm buying them all. Now, Thundercats was another thing. It came much later, but... Where I grew up, we didn't get it, get the cartoon anyway. So yeah. not having the cartoon, I wasn't interested in the toys. So right. it's it's interesting like how much that can have an effect on things. Because back then, it's not like we all just had the same 500 channels and we all watched the same shows. Mm -hmm. It was primo syndication time. So if something didn't get picked up by a local station in your area... Or a station that you had on cable, like, say, WGN Chicago, which is where I watched a lot of Joe and Transformers. If a channel didn't pick up a show like Thundercats, well, that's going to hurt the sale of Thundercats toys in that entire area. So mm -hmm. that was that was exactly what happened with me. I yeah. didn't have any Thundercats cartoon aired. If, if it aired at all, it probably aired after the fact in some weird time, like while I was at school. But I have no memory of ever seeing a Thundercats cartoon as a kid. I saw, like, the commercials. I saw them all the time. But I remember, like, trying to find shows like Thundercats and She-Ra and, and stuff on my TV guide. I I would literally, like, take the TV guide and, like, <laughs> thoroughly research it. Like, I where know. are these cartoons? And, and I never <laughs> found them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I, I think most... People our age who are into pop culture kind of stuff have memories of combing through the TV guide looking for the treasure, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's on at 7. I guess I'm getting up at 7. <laughs> I remember one time I was really excited because I found Avengers in the TV guide. I was like, Avengers? There's oh, an Avengers TV yeah. show? Turn yeah. it on. It's just some girl and some guy kicking people. This isn't <laughs> the Avengers. Two British people kicking people. Oh, man, I could have watched, you know, Hoist and Grapple if I wanted to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that Avenger show, I watched it as a child and I did like it. It was on PBS. Well, I, I didn't even give it a try because it wasn't <laughs> Marvel's Avengers. Right, there's no Hulk. What do I want to be here for? So I will take, yeah, Snowman and Hachiman because those are great characters. And <laughs> so now I have, I have a couple of Sectars. I have a number of Thundercats. Surely you can't nail the trifecta and have me buy something from all three product lines this week. <laughs> Can you? Let's fly to Eternia and visit the Masters <gasps> of the Universe Snake Mountain. If <laughs> you dare. Ha, 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 ha. Ready to take on me, man? Anytime! 
Snake Mountain Battle Armor Human Escalator each sold separately. You put the mountain together. Batteries not included. Are your serpents ready to strike? Yes! Snake Mountain with Echo Microphone, new from the Masters of the Universe collection. <laughs> oh, that laughing child. <laughs> that laughing child with the curly hair. <laughs> and, like, they really amplified how echoey that microphone was. Because everybody who hasn't played with it, it was a plastic barrel with a spring in it. <laughs> It echoed. It didn't echo like it did in the commercial. I, I remember playing with a friend, Snake Mountain, and I got pretty juiced about using that microphone. Oh, I'm going to, like, knock the windows out with this. And it was like, wah, 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 wah. oh, okay. Well, it's pretty good. It's also a little bit small. The only thing I can really remember about the microphone is that it could cause a lot of feedback. And I remember just, like, turning it off in anger because it would just, like, all of a sudden, you, this high-pitched uh, noise would come out of it. So I was just like, nope, uh, shut up. <laughs> but I will take a snake mountain because it is cool to have a mountain with faces and snakes all over it. Come on, how can you say no? You did it! I bought them all! Yes! <laughs> Let's hear it for commercialism. All right. So I'm ready to find out what happened to the Aerialbots. Well, as we return, the Autobots are figuring out how to repair the Chronosphere, the one that they just destroyed. <laughs> Because they've deduced that this is the only way to get their aerobots back. Hmm. Wheeljack and Ironhide start scrounging for parts to repair the machine that they just destroyed. <laughs> and nobody said I told you so, Doctor. Said... <laughs> Ironhide tells us that nine million years ago, Cybertron was in its golden age before the war. Now, just to chart the math here, the war didn't start till around nine million years ago. Prime and his bunch and Megatron and his bunch left Cybertron 4 million years ago. So they were at war on the planet for a good 5 million years. Then they crashed on Earth, woke up after 4 million years, and the war was still going on. I still think these numbers are ridiculous and kind of feel like placeholder numbers from when they were originally spitballing the series. Yeah. I don't think it's possible for anyone, much less robots armed with lasers, to fight for over a million years without completely wiping each other out. But, whatever, <laughs> now's not the time for me to ask the cartoon to be realistic. That's right, we are talking about a time machine. So <laughs> so we shift over to the aerialbots who are getting the lay of the land. It looks like Cybertron, but it's more gold, brighter, and not thoroughly wrecked. The aerialbots all find it beautiful as they walk past what seems to be some kind of body of water, a mm. red and blue colored robot runs out to confront these new visitors. Hey, you guys, are you here to help? Uh, no, uh, not exactly. Never seen you guys around before. I'm Orion, Orion Pax. Uh, I'm Silverbolt. And I'm Slingshot. I'm Fireflight. And that's Air Raid and Skydive. What do you do here? Oh, we unload the energy shipments from the power plant upriver. Upriver? So that is a body of water of some sort. So in its golden days, Cybertron had rivers of some kind. Not necessarily water, but maybe. Or maybe oil? Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, this Orion Pax fellow is voiced by Lori Faso, who also does skydive. And do you want to describe what he looks like? So, they're telegraphing some things here. Everybody who's paying very close attention will notice that Orion Pax is red, white, blue, and yellow. Very similar mm -hmm. colors to some other Autobots we know. His helmet is blue. 
it's interesting that he has lips. Silverbolt has lips, yeah. and Orion Pax has lips. This is a new thing in Transformers, as far as I can tell. Yes, we had the female Autobots with their bright red lips, but now we have like these very full-lipped, presumably male robots. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a fluorodarism sneaking its way in. Like, yeah. at the end of Season 2, we start getting, I would say, more and more fluoroisms, let's call them, sort of sneaking into the landscape. And I feel like this is yet another of them. Yeah, his face is very Blur-like, isn't it? He looks a mm-hmm. lot like... His face has a lot of similarities to Blur's face. And even with the helmet, the way the helmet is constructed, it looks like a Season 3 character. So, once again, going back to like Defcon, it feels like these designs, as we encounter these Cybertronian Transformers who never went to Earth, they have like sort of the vanilla Cybertron design aesthetic to them. Mm-hmm. Although, I'm going to also point, and I'm going to do my best not to spoil things, but Orion has what is clearly a big windshield on his chest, mm-hmm. and his torso is red. He's got the blue boots. And also, in case you missed it, his initials are O-P. Orion mm. equals hunter in Greek mythology, Orion. And Pax means peace, so he's a peaceful hunter. Also, strange that he has a first and last name. You know, so few Transformers do. We get Alpha Trion, Red Alert, Omega Supreme, Ultra Magnus. But can we think of any others that have this first name, last name business? The characters we're about to meet do not have last names. Hmm. That is interesting. I wonder if, like, well, I say wonder, like there's some sort of rule published somewhere. But it is interesting where it's like, some people have one name, some people have two names. Yeah, right. There's got to be some... I don't want to say nerds. Nerd! Some enthusiasts out there <laughs> who have put together great tomes explaining these divergent lines of naming systems in the Transformers universe. I'm sure. You know what? You know who wasn't thinking about this? Hasbro. They were not. <laughs> they were just putting names on things. <laughs> no, Hasbro wasn't even putting names on things. They were like, Marvel, put names on these for us. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So let's not overthink it too much, but David Wise is teeing up something here, and I think this is what he's about to do is what makes this episode really stand out for me and make me really enjoy it. Now let's let's just quickly do a quick inventory of everything that's happened so far. The aerial bots admire the Decepticons and seem to be brushing off of their shoulders any ideas that the Decepticons are evil, despite of what they've seen with their eyes and despite what their creators have told them. Dad said they're bad. I don't believe Dad. Well, you just saw them try to murder some people. Yeah, well, it you know, hatches open. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> the Decepticons send them back into the past. And Silverbolt's even like, well, guys, the Decepticons send us back in the past. They're like, well, you know, maybe it was an accident. Who knows? You know, They're just endlessly brushing off the reality that's in front of them. And so mm-hmm. how can we teach them these characters their journey is going to teach the aerial bots, and I love this. I'm sorry to get ahead of us a little bit, Hoover, but I want everybody to pay close attention to what happens next. So we have this character, Orion Pax, who is red, white, blue, and yellow, has windows on his chest, blue helmet, blue hands, blue boots, red torso. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're just hinting so much. 
Hmm, interesting. He's red and he has windows on his chest. Hmm. <laughs> what? So this is this is part of my teaching style. I do this a lot in the classroom. Like as the kids are drifting off a little bit, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna use my voice. I'm gonna get really big. I'm gonna remind us three times. I'm gonna inculcate you. You're gonna say it three times, three different ways, so that when I do the reveal, you're like, aha! I discovered it all by myself. Yes, you did. I didn't point you at it. <laughs> Well, Orion shows the aerial bots the others unloading energy as they're joined by his friend, Dion. Suckering more people into doing your work for you, Orion? <laughs> Very funny. And this is Ariel. Keep away from her. She's my girlfriend. Don't listen to him. He's just a jealous type. Now, Dion is voiced by Corey Burton, who we know as Shockwave and Spike. And Ariel is voiced by Samantha Newark, who's best known as Jim on the cartoon of the same name. Hmm. And I don't know how important this is, Hoover, but we do see, just before Dion shows up, we see a truck that is colored and designed exactly the same as him, unloading energy to these worker bots. And then it cuts to that same truck pulling up at its end. Now, I, I, I want to say, oh, animation error? Or is it that Dion is part of a fleet of vehicles? I think it's more that. I mean, we can yeah. only speculate, but as we'll see later, there's another fleet of identical vehicles. It just seems like Cybertron wants to be expedient and mm -hmm. only branch out when they have to branch out. Because it's like all the trucks look alike. Yeah. All the loading vehicles look alike. It's like we don't need any sort of difference in aesthetics. We need things that just function well. Right. Yeah. It gives it gave me the impression it really sold this idea that they are working class autobots. These are factory mm -hmm. workers. They work in warehouses. They joke around like coworkers. But Ariel is pink with <laughs> an a, a kind of a ponytail type dealy thing. There's, mm -hmm. there's this design, this this flourish that comes out of the back of her helmet that clearly looks like a giant 1950s ponytail. And Dion is blue and orange and turns into a Cybertronian truck. We don't see what Ariel turns into, but Ariel is just a very, a very pink and lithe female robot like what we've seen in the past. And you thought the girls that we met in the search for Alvatron were very Barbie doll shaped? Well, yeah, Ariel this definitely is. is because it's like they didn't even plan for her to turn into anything. Right. We we never see her transform, so it's like they didn't even have to pretend that she has like kibble and stuff right. that is part of her transformation. So she's no very Barbie dollish. Yeah. And Dion, as we heard his voice, he he sounds very much like high school football hero now doc yeah. worker. <laughs> <laughs> well then suddenly Dion is distracted by something in the sky. And as we see it, it's Megatron, Shockwave, and Soundwave flying over. The Aerialbot's instinct is to hide, but then they're reminded that they're in the past and Megatron hasn't met them yet. <laughs> Orion and Dion are impressed by these robots who can fly and they want to get to know them. As does Slingshot. Silverbolt reminds everyone that just because they have an unusual ability doesn't make them people that they'd want to know. Oh, you, you wet blanket, Silverbolt. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that he's saying that out loud. I mean, this is the part of like what makes me love these old cartoons is how... They did put healthful stuff in there for kids who needed to hear it, right? Because this is, we are 100% into the story of trying on identities, 
boy, there's those kids over there, and they, you know, they cut their fingernails so that they're pointy, and they wear, like, black <laughs> fingernail polish, and they do, like, that thing with their, they put product in their hair, so that, and they bring it to a point in front of their face, and they wear, like, a dog collar with spikes on it, and they just seem, like, to not care about anything, and the teachers are kind of scared of them. Wow, I wonder what it'd be like to be, like, one of those guys, you know? It's that kind of story, <laughs> but told in the context of a war story, right? But then Silverbolt treads out, like, almost filmation style, like, this line of dialogue is clearly meant to point at that. <laughs> and then Ariel chimes in saying that she heard a rumor that these flying robots leader has assembled an army and attacked one of the outer cities. And Dion just thinks Ariel believes everything she hears. Orion isn't concerned about war. He says there's guardian robots who take care of that stuff. All they need to concentrate on is unloading the fuel. So this is what I was just getting ahead of myself on earlier with, with Orion when they meet him is... So we've got the aerial bots, and even Slingshot says something to the effect of, like, this would be a great time to get to know them, <laughs> because they haven't <laughs> met us yet. We can find out what these Decepticons are all about. And so both of us are like, you just got to learn things the hard way, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, this is great that he sets it up to where, let's have Slingshot see himself in some other people with these three even more naive characters. They haven't even had the context of meeting Megatron and having the Decepticons chase at them. They don't know anything about them. They have zero reason to not believe that these new robots who can fly are anything but exciting. Slingshot has evidence. Slingshot is ignoring the evidence, so now he has to see the Decepticons through the eyes of somebody even more innocent. And I think that's a really, really cool way to set this story up. Hmm. And what it reveals later in terms of introducing lore into the Transformers history, I think the structure of this of taking the naive character and having them see somebody else even more naive get teed up for disaster is really neat. Well, now we get a closer look at that river, and it certainly does resemble water. So that's interesting. Follow that random fact away. And then we get a very pivotal meeting. Megatron has landed, and he encounters Orion Pax. Hello there! I'm Megatron! What's your name? Uh, Orion. Orion Pax, it's really a thrill to meet you, sir. Now, Silverbolt has seen Megatron land at the docks, so he, the aerial bots, and Ariel head over. Megatron is showing Orion his fleet of trucks hauling energy. And again, all these trucks are the same design. They're just mm -hmm. all identical. He asks Orion what they store here, saying he's looking for a place to store his wares. Orion shows him the huge supply of Energon stored in the warehouse. And Megatron has heard just what he wanted to hear. He orders his Decepticons to attack. So when he announces Decepticons attack, again, the animation isn't awesome, but that shot is pretty great. The pose that Megatron does is really dynamic and with like some force perspective stuff going on. Also, there's an odd bit of timing here where Orion says, right now we got fuel to unload. And then it cuts to the Decepticons landing and it cuts to Megatron meeting Orion. So one would think then that Megatron landed moments after Orion said that. There was no transition. And then we see Silverbolt and Aerialbots and Ariel running to the hangar where Megatron's talking to Orion as if they were far away. So mm -hmm. there was some kind of transition here that didn't happen because this part really confused me when I was younger. And over time I realized, okay, a cutscene or something. Because when you watch it for the first time, it looks like it's a very instantaneous moment. Right now we got fuel to load. Boom, Megatron lands. Yeah. So... I think it's probably just a cutscene or something, and it, it's just put together very choppily. Mm -hmm. It's like once they took out whatever they took out, clearly there's there's something that doesn't flow. 
this is this is very similar to the secret of omega supreme where it's like it's a really good story that is almost threatened by how clumsy the animation is here mm -hmm. yeah so but megatron points he points to the trucks it says decepticons attack and what do we see all the trucks that had pulled up they all transform and even the cargo in the trucks transform so we have two different models of early decepticon and orion tries to protest but he gets shot by Megatron's fusion cannon. Ariel charges at Megatron, and she gets shot as well. Square in the chest. Yeah, yeah, we need to talk about this. Megatron's murdering children now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're blue-collar workers. They're not children. Well, they're young people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're very young people, and they're very innocent people, right? These aren't people who are any threat to Megatron. They're just like, hey, because Orion just like, grabs him with everything. like, you can't do this, and he's like, out of my way, fully pushes him, then shoots him. So... Now we're seeing what a real POS Megatron is. And I think that this is necessary for the transformation, that, pardon the expression, that has to happen with the characters in this episode. Mm -hmm. Orion then leaps up and flips through the air towards Megatron, but he just gets shot midair and falls again. Meanwhile, the Decepticons rush the building and take out Dion. The aerial bots rush in to find their new acquaintances massacred on the ground. Silverbolt lifts up the body of Orion and asks him to speak. But Orion's head just sinks to the side and he shows no evidence he's alive. And so we're sent to our second commercial break. Dead Autobots. Yeah, new territory. We have not seen this before. And it's important that these were three civilian Autobots. Megatron just committed atrocities. He wasn't fighting somebody in battle. And we know Megatron doesn't play fair. We saw that in Heavy Metal War. We know he cheats, sure. He cheated against Optimus. Now he's just outright turning his full power on unarmed civilians. Holy moly. There is no debating that Megatron is representing the, the wrong choice in this story. <laughs> I can't even make the argument about how a totalitarian system might have some efficiencies in it. No, he, he's murdering civilians. That is like grade A wrong with a capital W. So, and then... We see Orion's head fall sideways and like the eyes didn't turn dark or anything, but like there's no evidence that he's alive, like you said. So what a cliffhanger to end on. There's no way you can distract me with commerce now, Hooper. <laughs> I'm fully invested. I dare you to try. I defy you to get me to spend my dad's money. Uh, I don't know. How about these shiny metal silverhawks battling Monstar in the Sky Shadow? It's me, Evil Monstar! Figures and attack birds sold separately. Monstar and Sky Shadow attack the Silverhawks. Flashback, prepare for battle! Sky Shadow grabs him and sucks him in, but then Stronghold oh, flies oh. to the rescue. Activate Cyberjaws! Oh, well, you know, I was kind of, I was like half on board, and then I heard that pubescent boy doing Monstar's voice. I was like, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I, I like Monstar even better when he sounds like a 14-year-old boy. <laughs> so now I have to get Monstar. All right, I, I'll take one. <laughs> How about the new Monster Gobots introduced to us by Psykill himself? Greetings, Earthlings. Do not attempt to adjust your sets. I'm here to introduce three new monstrous friends. Bugsy, the lowest form of insect life in the galaxy. Claws, the Grandmaster of Misery. And Blaze, dangerous, disgusting, and despicable. Is there a guardian in the universe who dares stand up to this show of force? I didn't think so. <laughs> Monster Gobot seems so separately new from Tonka. I don't remember this commercial at all, but this is amazing. 
<laughs> Can we talk about how cool Psycho's voice is? No, these are my villains. <laughs> He's almost like Dr. Smith from the old Lost in Space show mixed with Beast Wars Megatron. Oh, my gosh. And I, I did have some of the monster gobots. I had no idea what they were. It was one of those things where I got them at a trade. But, yeah, you put you put that, that voice actor in front of any product, and I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> They're very ridiculous looking. It's like the Insecticons, well, they didn't look too much like insects, but... <laughs> Whatever the monster gobots are trying to look like, mm, they don't look like anything. <laughs> so I didn't have any of those guys. I, I had them. They were die-cast metal, so they felt like weapons-grade toys. <laughs> but yeah, the transformation was... Mm, I would say the word transformation is provisional. When talking about <laughs> these toys, you kind of push a thing in and fold the thing back. It's like, now it's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why when we were teens, GoBots had such a bad rap. It's like, look, I turned it upside down. It's a GoBot. <laughs> Me and my friends used to do that all the time. My Transformers friends, we'd just like take like you know a teddy bear and like turn them upside down. It's like, look at it, it transformed. It's a GoBot. <laughs> they weren't that bad. And GoBots, as I've said in other episodes, had a lot of things going for them as I revisited the cartoon. Anyway, but yeah, I'm just buying them just based on the salesmanship of Psykill. <laughs> <laughs> At this point in the GoBots toy line, Transformers were already thoroughly established, so yeah. they had to up their game big time, but Monster GoBots was not upping your game. I think they were like, hey, the Transformers, they have Dinobots and they have Insecticons. We need something like that. Uh, how about monsters? Kids love monsters. <laughs> you know that's the conversation they had, too. Mm-hmm. They had an idea board. They're just writing down things kids like horses, <laughs> outer space, monsters. <laughs> what can we do with this? <laughs> you know what else I wrote up here? Yeah, rocks. Uh, kids like rocks. My, my kid eats rocks all the time. Tell him not to do that. <laughs> oh, rocks? You mean the greatest concept ever to be brought to toys? The rock lords? <laughs> can imagine a rock lord world where the forces of good and evil are fighting to survive each sold separately rock lords rocks that come alive rock lords fighting to survive living rocks with strength and might rising up to crash and fight you can imagine they don't absolutely suck now i want to know how did rock lords hurt you over <laughs> They acted like they were fun when they really just turned into rocks. That's how they hurt me. They lied to me. <laughs> they lied to me. I love the hurt that's in there. They lied to me, and I'll never believe a person again. And <laughs> <laughs> don't trust anyone in Black Turtlenecks anymore because of this commercial. This commercial is bananas because it's just a bunch of toys on a light table, and there's a guy, a 35-year-old man with, like, the most feathery, you know, Gil Gerard, that's incredible, hairstyle you've ever seen in your entire life, and he's leaning over the table looking at you intensely going, like, are you ready for Rock Lords? <laughs> no, I'm not! Usually you have kids playing with the toys to show me how I can imagine and have fun, and now you're leading into me, and you're getting all intense, and, like, you're an old man by my reckoning. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> what a strange commercial that I have no memory of, but it, man, it, it's, yeah, it's legit. So, but I did like the rock Lords and I think <laughs> that I'm going to get the two headed dude who turns into a rock. That's neat. I like nugget. He's cute. So once again, you got me to buy all three. Well done, man. That, Hoover goes in for a layup on this one. Well, thankfully, Whew. this is the audio podcast, and you can't see the look that I'm giving when you say, <laughs> I want to buy these rock lords. <laughs> Why would you buy those liars? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you lied to me. Let's imagine Danny DeVito from Throw Mama from the Train. You lied to me, and you hit him with the pan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, I bought things. I feel a catharsis, so I'm ready to find out if if Orion Pax is alive or dead. Well, as we return, the Decepticons in the present are planning their attack. Megatron knows that if the Chronosphere falls into the Autobot hands, it'll be bad news. Suddenly, Shockwave calls out for Megatron. He's seen something important in the random debris just collecting on Cybertron. Megatron is surprised to see a long-defunct Guardian robot. You know, like what Omega Supreme is, but blue. Skywarp and Thundercracker have some comments on it. Those things give me the creeps! Yeah, they sure used to give us a pounding back in the old days. Okay. If you were paying close attention this episode, you might have noted Thundercracker hadn't said anything yet the whole time. And now this line happens, and that ain't John Stevenson. This is voice director Wally Burr. Apparently John Stevenson couldn't make it for whatever reason, so Wally did the line himself. To be honest, I'm not even sure we're going to hear John Stevenson do Thundercracker again in this series. Hmm. We might. These next few episodes aren't ones I have memorized backwards and forwards, so we'll have to see. Megatron wants to put this Guardian robot to use. Shockwave, could it be reactivated? Possibly. But the lack of a head will limit its maneuverability. A warrior doesn't need a head, just a good, strong body. We cut away to the Autobots, where Wheeljack is struggling to repair the Chronosphere that they destroyed. (laughs) He thinks that once it's fixed, it should automatically return the aerial bots to the present. Prime hopes that they're okay, so then we cut back to see what's happening in the past. And what's happening is the aerial bots are carrying Orion's body around in hopes of finding someone to repair him. Slingshot has finally seen enough. Having seen Megatron essentially murder three peaceful workers, he understands now that he's bad news. That Megatron, I'll pay him back for this if it's the last thing I do. And he's the guy you wanted to be pals with. Oh, Silverbolt, stop it now. Don't, I mean, he just, he just grew. (laughs) (laughs) Your friend just grew. This is not the time to say I told you so. So it's never the time to say I told you so, by the way, Silverbolt. (laughs) But, but man... That 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 is the part where I get really uncomfortable because I look back and I'm like, yeah, that would have been me when I was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> and then the aerial bots come across a fairly familiar-looking, if not familiar-sounding robot. He looks like Alpha Trion, but no beard and only a small mustache. Excuse me, if that young robot needs repairs, I suggest you take him to the next city. Oh, you gotta help. <sighs> take a look inside. They've been pouring in since this morning. 
I had been developing a way to rebuild our robots to fight the Decepticons, but now... Please, just take a look at him. Huh. I do detect a strong spirit within him. I tell you what. I'm going to attempt to rebuild him entirely. All right! So this is a younger Alpha Trion. He's now voiced by Corey Burton. Presumably this was always the plan, because even if John Stevenson had been available, he's not known for his young-sounding <laughs> voices. That's just my speculation. Now, if I'm not mistaken, he never says his name. I don't Correct. think he says, hi, I'm Alpha Trion. I think that's kind of neat. This is the kind of mm -hmm. thing when I saw this as a kid, I was like, oh, dude, that's Alpha Trion, but he's young. So now right. we're in the past, and wait a second, we know Alpha Trion has a special relationship with Optimus Prime and Alita 1, right? Right, everybody? Are you <laughs> getting it? I'm leaning in. I'm, I'm doing the thing where I point my two fingers at my eyes and then point them at your eyes. <laughs> and also, can we, can we please take one moment to just pause the video and look at his sweet Tom Selectron <laughs> mustache? Because <laughs> it is, it is the, the, the very... It couldn't get more 80s than that mustache that he has right there. <laughs> and also, I don't know if anybody picked up on it, but he's, Corey Burton is just doing Spike's voice. I like that, too. I like that a lot. I like that the, the dude who winds up being the father of Optimus Prime, you know, the father figure for Optimus, is voiced by the same young human who Optimus befriends and who winds up mm. teaching Optimus how to be a better robot, right? How cool is that? I, again, who knows how intentional that was, but I love it. It makes me so happy. And when you listen to just the audio, close your eyes, imagine Spike <laughs> saying those lines. It's Spike. <laughs> Well, the Aerialbots say that there's two more needing repairs, but first, he has to concentrate on Orion. Alpha Tri-Young carries Orion <laughs> into his garage as the door shuts behind him. Meanwhile, but also in the past, the Decepticons are shooting up things when two giant looming Guardian robots appear. The very sight of them sends the Decepticons scattering as the Guardian robots try to pick them off. But back at Alpha Trion's lab, the Aerialbots grow impatient but Alpha soon emerges. Well, it's finished. You may not recognize him. He is no longer Orion Pax. Now he is the first of our new defenders, Optimus Prime. <gasps> so Orion Pax has been rebuilt into Optimus Prime, and out he walks. I was wrong, my friends. I admired Megatron merely because he was powerful. I failed to see how he used that power. Oh my god. <laughs> that line is pure... Oh, what would I call it? It's the audio and moral equivalent of heroin to me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and the fact that Optimus has to apologize to the area... I was wrong, my friends. So they watch... So they, not only do they watch the much more innocent person go through the same journey that they were out on but then it turns out that the mistake that he made made him into the father figure that he serves as for them in their own time and to hear after Optimus says this slingshot's like that's okay we've all made the same mistake oh my god so good oh and i failed to see how he used that power that is an important thing for young people to see that is a very important thing for young people to see because when you're young and you have a less refined and sophisticated relationship with what power means, all you know is that there's cool kids and not cool kids. There's popular kids and not popular kids. It must be wonderful to be popular and be, to be cool, right? Well, let's look mm -hmm. at how they use it. Are they popular and cool because they use power responsibly and inclusively? 
or are they popular and cool because everybody's afraid of them, right? And the fact that Optimus himself had to learn this is that's super powerful to show a young person. That's why this episode is so special to me. It's not just the lore that introduced, it's that. <sighs> well, now the Aerobots don't seem all that shocked that the dude that they just saved was Optimus Prime. And that's worth a few jaw drops and comments if you ask me. So I'm guessing that there were another scene that got cut and yeah. more splicing up the episode. Now Prime mentions Ariel, and Alpha Trion says he'll send some droids out for her while the Ariel bots and Optimus go confront Megatron. Then Alpha mutters to himself, A female warrior. Huh. I'll call her Elita One. Eh? Eh? Get it? <laughs> so Ariel gets built into Elita One. How about that? I also think it's kind of interesting how... I mean, I don't know the damage and everything that were made, but they come back with different voices, different mm -hmm. names. Yep. It's like, I would imagine like Orion likes wake, wakes up and he's like, ah, oh, I'm alive. Wait, <laughs> why do I sound really cool now? <laughs> why do I sound oh. so awesome? <laughs> oh, I man. a new only... voice box in you because your old one was destroyed. Oh, okay. Well... Nice to meet you. I'm Orion. No, no, you're not. You're <laughs> Optimus Prime now. Oh, well, uh, okay. okay. I could go into a whole thing about rites of passage, right? Where this is about like you are letting your old self die to let the new self become. This is a mythological kind of thing. In this is what you know. In like even a bar mitzvah, I am a man today, right? <laughs> I, I'm serious now. Like these things are. This is something that I I feel. I have a lot of big feelings about how we don't have as many of these rites of passage anymore. So there isn't this sort of marking of transition in our lives the way we've had in the past. Mm. I don't want to say just in the United States past. I mean, like the world's like world history. There's, there's lots of traditions of rites of passage and the, the sort of archetypal idea there is literally letting your past self die for your psyche to move forward into the next stage of development and the way you engage with the world. And even like this goes back to my Silverhawks joke about the pubescent boy with Monstar is like your voice changes when you begin around 13, 14, right? Your body changes. You are no longer a child anymore. Now you're a young adult. So that's all in this too. And I, and I love that aspect of it. And, and I do love the idea of giving him a new name and not showing how it happened. Did it well, I guess they just showed that Alpha Trion says that I'll call her Alita One. Oh, <laughs> now I'm not so happy. It would be cool if he'd be like, he shows Optimus take his own name, right? You're a new person. Who, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be in this world, right? Anyway, I, I, I think that's all really cool. And, and, and also this goes back to the, the key to Vector Sigma parts one and two where the Aerobots remember what they used to be. So I'm sure Optimus remembers being Orion Pax, but he's no longer Orion Pax. Alpha Trion said that himself. Just mm -hmm. as teenage Hoover was not the same person as nine-year-old Hoover. <laughs> well, he, he had a lot in common. But... <laughs> <laughs> you get what I'm saying, though. Psychically and physically, we change and we become different people. I forgot when I was a teenager that I was supposed to put away childish things, and I just <laughs> kept them on. 
well, <laughs> I'm right there with you, pal. My transformations <laughs> happened in a lot of other directions, but that one did not. That remained pretty much the same. And my, my inner, my mental picture of myself is still a 12-year-old boy showing up going, hi, everybody, please like me. <laughs> teacher, teacher, they're doing bad things over there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Let's get back to the story. <laughs> So back across the planet, the Guardian robots are firing on all those little Decepticons, but in comes Megatron, who lands a direct shot on the head of one of them, taking it offline. Hmm. A headless Guardian robot. Do you think that's going to get cleaned up in nine million years' time? It landed by Alpha Trion's house, and we know how he is about tidiness. <laughs> So earlier we saw a guardian robot in the present without a head. Yeah. And now a guardian robot in the past gets its yeah. head blown off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eleven-year-old Jersey was totally leaning over to one of his many siblings and elbowing them, going like, "That's the one that they're using in the future. That's why I get it." And then I put my finger to my nose and I wink at my my sibling, and they're like, "I got it. I got it." Like three seconds ago, before you even said anything about it. Why do you think you're so smart? <laughs> <laughs> well, Megatron's ordering his troops to destroy the Guardian robots when they're fresh off the assembly line Optimus Prime runs onto the battlefield You've caused enough destruction for one day Megatron I haven't even started Megatron fires on Optimus hits him directly but the shots just bounce off Yeah Megatron is shocked and wants to know who he is, and Prime simply responds, Your worst nightmare! Mm. Prime fires on Megatron, but Megatron flies up into the air, dodging the blasts. He orders the Decepticons attack Prime, but Prime manages to take out much of the advancing army. Yeah, and as he does this, so I don't know how intentional this was that David Weiss was doing this, but he says, Optimus says, I'm your worst nightmare, right? And then they do this scene where he literally just like stands in this awesome action pose and strafes the Decepticons running at him. And it does a wide pan where we watch these guys get mowed down. Not just mowed down, not falling down like, oh, ow, I got hurt. Like their bodies explode as he's shooting them. So this could be, if I'm not mistaken, pre-Transformers the movie, the most killingest episode of the series so far. <laughs> this is so macho-aggressively 80s, this scene here. It's... I think you're right. And plus, another thing is that we have heard these Decepticons talk. And yes. they're not just like the drones that we've seen in past no. episodes, like Bubblehead or any of those guys. They have no. full faces, you know, just like any other Decepticon. And they talk... So these are not like some random droids put to work. They're actual Decepticons. Mm-hmm. So this one gets, this is where it gets like some points shaved off for me because, well, maybe not, maybe not. Let me think about this for a second because this is Orion's first outing as a hero. And this is also literally 9 million years ago. He has not had the time or the training to meet the moment with skill and grace. So actually, I'm going to say this feels actually probably pretty appropriate that like your first time out acting on the world with the newfound power that you have is probably going to be a messy affair. Mm. I only wish that there was some consequence for that because this feels more celebratory and triumphant. And as a, as a child, I totally felt it. I This felt like 
all right, Megatron, you're in trouble now. Now Orion's awesome. And wouldn't it be cool if I had that kind of power in the world? Ooh, old me is looking down at that kid going like, yeah, well, look at how he used that power. Remember what Optimus <laughs> said earlier about how you use power? Surely he could have found another way to, to sort of what was it? pacify or render inert all of these Decepticons. But maybe not. I don't know. But it's, it, it's, it's fraught for me when I look at it now. Also, what's interesting about it from sort of vaguely a continuity standpoint, but Megatron shoots Prime a couple times, and yeah. it does nothing to him. That part is silliness. That is just pure on clown time. <laughs> well, is it, though? Because, I mean, think about it this way. Like, right. Megatron, this is young in Megatron's lifetime, nine million years ago. Maybe the lasers are just getting more and more powerful as they develop technology. Like, they're like his fusion cannon just gets more and more better as time goes on because of advancements in technology. Yeah, this is this is this is Megatron 1.0, and he's only had to use the fusion cannon on civilians, right? Now he's using it on like a different level of Autobot. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Megatron's like, all right, I'm going to take off and go upgrade my gun. <laughs> all you soldiers that I don't care anything about because I'm a monster, you go try to fight them and maybe slow them down a little bit while I get away to upgrade my gun. Yeah, this yeah. is like the gunpowder version of the fusion cannon. Yeah. It doesn't do so hot on Optimus, but Optimus has this new technology yeah. that Alpha Trion's been developing, and yeah. it just mows down everybody. So... You can also make a case where, like, oh, that's funny. You know, a lot of people complain about what happens in Transformers the movie on the shuttle that Megatron mm-hmm. does. It's like, well, how come he never did that in the episodes? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah. maybe maybe he seriously upgraded his fusion cannon in that 20 years between season two and the movie. And now yeah. it's this horrendous thing yeah. that can you know, pretty much instantaneously destroy anybody. Right. You know, you got to allow that sort of advancement of technology over time, especially when we're talking about 9 million years. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah. So I, I like that this happens, that Megatron sees that his weapon is no good against Prime. So yeah. in a way, it's almost Alpha Trion's fault for stepping up the game. <laughs> right. And and basically forcing Megatron to one-up Prime, and then the Autobots have to one-up Megatron again, and then they set this thing off to where they're constantly one-upping each other during this well, war. Well, so. this is an instance where the show is being a product of its time, in that sure. when this was written, we were in the middle of an arms race with another foreign power in the United States. Yeah. And, But it, it's unfortunate that it reflected its time so closely because we had abundant stories in the past about like ways to do that kind of adventure where it's not an arms race. Like in the Lord of the Rings, Gandalf goes to Frodo's house and says, you have the ultimate death weapon in your house and everybody in the world's going to come looking for it. What do you want to do with that? And like Frodo doesn't say like, well, let's go use the death weapon against the bad guys. Frodo's like, no, we got to get rid of the death weapon. Right. So it's a story of disarmament. It would have been cool. And this is me like, you know, kind of being unfair to the cartoon by putting my grown-up modern hopes on it when it's something that's <laughs> from a different time. But it would have been cool if 
Optimus's upgrade was more than just strength and firepower, that it was also wisdom. But at the same time, like I said, I talked myself out of that by saying, but he's still a young Optimus. This is his first time acting as Optimus. It feels mm -hmm. at the same time very appropriate that his he would be so unskilled and so savage first yeah. time out. At this so, point, his text back reads, this gun is the right of all <laughs> sentient beings if you tick me off. <laughs> Courtesy of the Iacon. I'll put a, put, I'll put a gun in your bottom. <laughs> and then all that, right. that tagline got more and more refined over time. <laughs> Right. Oh. Well, meanwhile, the aerial bots see the Decepticon trucks headed for the fuel storage, and they know that they have to keep Megatron from getting that fuel. We cut back to the present, where Wheeljack thinks he's finished repairing the chronosphere that they blew up. Prime tells him to get the aerial bots back, and Wheeljack says it'll be two minutes. And then Jersey laments the lack of astroseconds used. R.I.P. astroseconds. But in come Megatron and his bunch firing on the Autobots, so now it's a standoff. They have to prevent the Chronosphere from getting destroyed again in order to get the aerial bots back. But it's not just Megatron attacking. That headless Guardian robot bursts through the wall, Kool-Aid Man style. <laughs> Prime has Ratchet and Ironhide keep it busy while he and Wheeljack keep up trading fire with the Decepticons. Back in the past, Silverbolt has concocted a plan. They've nabbed some energy and are awaiting all of the Decepticon hauling trucks to enter the storage warehouse before they blow up the entire warehouse and all of the Decepticons in it. But with more Decepticons advancing, they need to fast forward the timetable a bit. So they set off the explosion while they're still in the building. And thankfully a pink sphere appears around them, ready to take them back to the future. Or the present. Wherever. So this scene also grabbed me by the throat. I want to say when I was a young, like not a child anymore, but a young man, like it, it really, I received the idea that they're saved the moment they give their lives to something bigger. Mm -hmm. The moment that they say, we can't let the Decepticons win. And you hear Slingshot say, yeah, if they win this battle, they win the future too. And they say, do it, Slingshot. And you hear this urgency in his voice saying, like, we got to do it now, but what we're doing is essentially dooming ourselves. We're going to get blown up, too. And the moment they make that choice is when the time machine pulls them home. That is a lovely thought. Because in reality, yeah, they probably would have got blown up. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's symbolizing this idea that you are redeemed the moment you commit yourself to something that's bigger than you. Like, that's the human story. And the human story is acquiescing or surrendering to bigger ideas than instead of always thinking about little fragile you and how like it's life is unfair to little fragile you. So I'm sure that that was somewhere in David Wise's mind when he was doing this. Nobody draws any attention to it. And that I also like, so that sort of discovery of sort of like moral purpose of the Transformers series is incidental to the overall story. It's just, we got to get our guys back because we, we have to sell toys and we've only had them in two episodes so far, so we can't <laughs> kill them. Okay, well, let's save them, but make sure that the moment they're saved is the moment when they have committed to being more than just a bunch of punk teens. So that's great. <laughs> so we see the storage warehouse explode, and then the time change visual effect occurs, and we see the same building now ruined and half destroyed in the future, or present. And this is where these cartoons really excel at doing super efficient and clear storytelling. So they're having the final battle over the chronosphere happen in the same warehouse that the aerial bots 
9 million years ago, set off that explosion. So we see in the golden age of Cybertron, it's all gold, it's got a tower on the top, but then we see like an explosion rip through it. And then it fades to the dark gray of modern day Cybertron and the building looks exactly the same. You see that hole in the ceiling was made by the aerial bots 9 million years in the past. So without them saying, meanwhile, <laughs> 5 million years later, whatever, 9 million years later, we don't have to do that. They did it wordlessly. That, that is nice. That is clear. What Way to go, Sunbow animators. So back in the present, it's Autobots versus Decepticons and Headless Guardian Robot when the aerial bots manage to appear, return to the present in their pink time bubble. They waste no time whooping up on the baddies and then transform to Superion in order to take on the Guardian Robot. No, Guardian! We mentioned last time that Superion's voice would change after his first episode. And this time, it's Ed Gilbert who does Thrust. Hmm. Superion has quite the bout with the Guardian robot who is proving that Megatron was correct. Warriors do not need heads. But finally, Superion gets the upper hand and sends the thing flying. Superion disassembles into the five aerobots as the Decepticons split. You'll never get away from us, Megatron! We won't stop fighting till you're finished! You hear? Oh my gosh, the, the, the edge on that scream at the end is so good. His, his growth as a human, uh, I was going to say a human. Yeah, he's being more human-like. He's growing, he's learning, but his growth is complete, right? He's never going to trust that instinct again that just because somebody seems cool means that they automatically are. And the pain is in there. Ah, oh, I love it. <laughs> the Silverbolt gives Optimus the energy packs that they took from the past so they can refuel Omega. Wheeljack asks what happened to them in the past, and Silverbolt replies, Ah, oh, not much. We learned a few things about Megatron, and about you, Optimus Prime. Or, um, should I say, Orion Pax? You? So you five were the ones who saved me. Would somebody tell me what in blazes this is all about? Ask Optimus Prime. He knows. All right. Spill it before I go crazy. Well, it all began about nine million years ago. Oh, great. It's gonna be one of those long stories. The end. Hmm. So this is a great script with so-so animation. It's got some great concepts. It adds a lot to the lore. And it finally sheds slingshot of his Decepticon obsession. <laughs> I would give it a B plus, A minus, as it just feels it needs more polishing up and to be perfected. I think a lot of the problems are that things were cut out of it, and mm -hmm. we ended up with a lot of jumpy takes and such. And I also have some questions about it. One, the chronosphere. So did they re-destroy it after they fixed it, after they destroyed it? Does it still exist? Well, Megatron probably still wants to nab some energy from the past, so if it still exists, eh, use it. Two, and this is an overarching question I have, are we to believe that the Aerobots can't fly in robot mode? Because that's weird, if so. I think we only see them fly as jets in this one. And if you remember last time, when Silverbolt transforms to shoot the key to Vector Sigma, he basically writes himself off as he's falling in robot yep. mode until Slingshot swoops under him and saves him. And it just seems like there were times in this episode where flying would have been very handy, and they never did. 
So I'm just trying to deduce whether this is a coincidence or a writer's intent. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I, I've always assumed that they can't fly in robot mode. I mean, really? And, yeah. What they never about do. something? I mean, if you can fly in one mode, why can't you fly in the other mode? I don't know, but I, I could tell you what I like about it is this idea of the Autobots always being slightly depowered, slightly at a disadvantage, mm. even though th this series more so than later series, they're pretty evenly matched. But I, I like the idea of like, yeah, we could turn into jets. So can you fly in robot mode too? No, why would we? I think it's interesting that the Dinobots can fly, mm -hmm. but none of the other Autobots can fly. Skyfire doesn't fly in robot mode. He only flies hmm. in jet mode. Yeah, I can't think of any instance where we saw him fly in robot mode either. Yeah. Interesting. So I think I always just assumed that, well, if you can do one, you can do the other. Oh, but but yeah, I guess I mean because the Stundicons can fly in car mode and robot mode. <laughs> which is just bananas! Like, why even be a car at this point? <laughs> but yeah, I like it. I like the idea of like there's an advantage to each mode. So mm. yeah, if Silverbolt wants to fly after Megatron, he's got to be a jet. But then if he like it, like you pointed at the, the key to Vector Sigma, he couldn't get a beat on it in jet mode, so he had to turn to robot mode, and then thought he was going to die after that. So. Yeah, so let's just pay attention to all the future aerial bot appearances and see if there's any time where they're just flying in robot mode. Because if so, that means there's basically a part of G1 lore that just went over my head over all these years. Because mm -hmm. I literally, not until watching this, said, hey, can't the aerial bots just fly in robot mode? Because, I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're talking about how impressive it is that these Decepticons can fly... And I was just like, well, Silverbolt, why don't you just fly up in the air and go, hey, look, I can do it too. It's not that special. <laughs> so if they can't, it would make more sense from a writing standpoint. So Yeah. I imagine that some edict came down from someplace, from either the story editor or from Hasbro, saying, like, Autobots can't fly. doesn't matter. Well, what, but these are, the, I'm sure somebody in the writing room said, like, but they're jets. Yeah, well, they fly in jet mode. <laughs> they, don't, they don't fly in robot mode. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's on me for not paying close attention all these years, but we'll see. So we'll pay close attention to that. <laughs> but all in all, this was a really nice episode with a good character arc for Slingshot. And again, you have this rare opportunity because one writer is writing all these episodes in a row. You can do that sort of thing where if it were different people... It would be mm -hmm. a lot tougher. You'd have to be like, okay, I set up this character in my episode to do this. So in your episode, can you make that happen? You know, that's a lot tougher back in pre-internet times. So Yeah. But also, have you noticed a lot of second season regulars have been traded out for first season regulars for the past few episodes? Hmm. And I really feel like that's intentional because these will be the last hurrahs for some of these characters, sadly. Two episodes from now, we're going to start seeing some final appearances, like ever. And I will be sure to let you know who. But as far as this episode, I think the plot was a tad hokey. The character arc in it was a great one. But overall, I think it was worth the price of admission in my eyes. Hmm. But anytime you can just say, I've made a time machine out of nowhere. Yeah. That gets you points off. It's like, yep. come on. Yep. There could have been another way to do it. They could have done something with... It could have been some weird, naturally occurring effect. Like, they yeah. start out saying, oh, we discovered some weird 
energy source on mm-hmm. Cybertron. Yeah. And they could have gone to investigate, and the Decepticons were already there investigating it as well because Megatron wants to use it to get power because that's what he does. And then the Aerialbots could have accidentally been caught up in it. So, However, by having it be something that Megatron made, he is, in essence, responsible for the creation of Optimus Prime. Yeah. Right? So... Well, I mean, he already was in the past, though. He blew away that robot, and the robot got rebuilt. But only because the Aerialbots took the body to Alpha Trion. That's true. And Optimus even says, you five saved me. So it's got that kind of like, Mm -hmm. that's always a cute thing to do in a time travel story is to have a loop where, okay, Optimus created the Aerialbots, went back in the past to create Optimus Prime. So if Optimus Prime didn't create the Aerialbots, he wouldn't have been created. So that that feels like it had to happen. There's like Mm -hmm. a fate that happens with that. Right. It's cute, but yeah, time travel is always like, it's a dicey thing to do without getting an eye roll. It's really tough to do time travel. And, and I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who loves Back to the Future, like a lot. It's one of his favorite movies. And one of the things he says that is his, his evidence of why it's such a great movie is that Doc Brown says, flux capacitor, it's magic, move on. <laughs> <laughs> he never explains it. You have no idea why he explains the rules. It's got to go 88 miles per hour. It's got to use plutonium and whatever, or however many gigawatts of electricity it needs. Yeah. But basically, he says early on, it's magic. Let's just get to the story. I feel like if you're going to do time travel, you either have that choice or come up with something absurdly clever to explain how this could even happen, right? <laughs> so this just went for the, the Doc Brown approach. Like, what's this chronosphere, Megatron? Oh, I made a time machine. Didn't I tell you? Yeah, it was my weekend project. <laughs> and then what was missing from that scene was Rumble was going like, what can't he do? <laughs> 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 Starscream, you'll never be our leader. How many time machines have you made? Oh, that's right. I'm looking through my roll. N- none. There's none. I see no, none of time machines, Starscream. So guess what? No leader for you. Oh, nuts. And he kicks again. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not as important to me. Like, that's just like cute window dressing on what I think is like the real interesting story is this idea of these characters trying out other identities and you either have them fail and learn from that. They try it out. It doesn't work. Like the can't buy me love movie with Patrick Dempsey. Right. And it blows up in his face. And then he learns that, oh, okay, well maybe there's more to it than that. Or in this case, watching somebody even more innocent go through that and you want to protect them and protect them from that, that bad mistake. And you can't, and then to turn it and flip it and have, oh, and by the way, because you saw them go through that horrible mistake, you're watching your dad be born. You're, you, this is the mistake your dad made. So now maybe you're going to have a little bit more empathy for when he shares his wisdom with you. You know that wisdom was hard won, right? Mm-hmm. I think that all that business is really neat. So that's another reason why this one really stands out as an important one for me. Like The Secret of Omega Supreme, I just wish it would have had better animation. It's just the, the clunky parts are so clunky because of that. Yeah. And things things that are supposed to feel really dramatic. Uh, like when, when Orion Pax jumps at Megatron and says, you monster, and he jumps up in the air to try to get him, it looks really weird. Yeah. It's really slow, and he does he look he looks all awkward. And maybe that was the point. I doubt it though. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is a pivotal episode, and I feel like we're really getting some very important lore introduced into the series. And this is what I always think of whenever somebody does the story of like, oh, well, I'm going to go back and tell the story, but Optimus and Megatron were friends when they first started. I always kind of go like, eh, 
I'm much more of a fan of Megatron being a nasty POS when he first meets Optimus. And then through that tragic encounter, Orion has to level up to become much more than he was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I could just randomly interject my thoughts on Megatron as a misunderstood villain in future iterations of this Mm -hmm. toy line or series, whatever you want to call it, I don't like it when they try to, like, paint Megatron as, in their eyes, more realistic and less Mm -hmm. cartoon tyrant, like they did in the recent Netflix War for Cybertron thing, they tried to paint Megatron as sort of like a historic leader yeah, and show, oh, he's not all bad. It's like, yeah, I understand what you're trying to do. I get it. But sometimes it's just fun to have a villain who is just evil for evil's sake. Well, and you don't have to make everything more like history and more like reality to make it better. You know, you can't age up Transformers (laughs) To make well, it more palatable by adults, by <laughs> in, in, inserting characters that are more like real historical figures. I mean, if you're doing that, you're already going down the wrong road in my mind. Well, it, it, as a counterpoint to that, too, I would also throw in just to like sort of put a little bit more nuance to the argument is history is full of monstrous people. Right. We, we mm-hmm. have lots of people we could point to to say, no, that person was just unequivocally a monster. Even in very recent history, we have serial killers, right? There are people who are mm-hmm. monstrous creatures. So you can do, I think you could do a, a quote-unquote mature Megatron. And I look at the villain in Pan's Labyrinth, right? I don't know if you've seen that, Hoover, but that the, the, the villain in Pan's Labyrinth is super frightening, and there is nothing redeeming about that person. He is a monstrous creature. So why not go that route then? I, I always feel like there's something in this sort of like, wanting to make it feel like Magneto, where it's like he's the mm. hero of his own story kind of thing right. that people go to. And I get it. I get it. That's that's Because that actually is true. For most of us, we are the hero of our own story. But what if, mm-hmm. you know, he truly was just a tyrannical, despot, sociopath creep. Mm-hmm. Super intelligent, super intuitive and industrious, and always one step ahead of our hero. That's another kind of villain we could do too. Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter, that kind of thing. You can do that and have it be some like more scary, more intense. But I get it. I think my bias, and I think to a, to a lesser degree, but still to a degree your bias is, is that it always feels better when it's aimed at younger audiences. Ron Friedman himself said about Cobra Commander is that he's a greedy child. And I think about that kind mm. of villain. Like Megatron just, he wants it all for himself, right? Yeah. That's fun to watch. Those villains can be a lot of fun to watch. And, and I think they speak to something. They give us permission to a part of our psyches that just wants to like push everybody out of the way. And we, we get both the marshmallows. There's no marshmallow test for this kid. <laughs> I'm taking both of them. I'm taking yours, too. What do you think of that? <laughs> right? So, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I prefer the story where Optimus is the innocent who comes into contact with the monstrous and then has to level up as a response mm-hmm. to that, rather than, oh, Megatron, please don't. I'm begging you not to do this thing. I have to do this thing because events have conspired to make me do this thing. Oh, how Shakespearean of you. Well, <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, stop trying to turn Transformers into Shakespeare. <laughs> it never will be that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a complaint fest against yeah. the Netflix cartoon or anything. It's, it's just not anything that I wanted. And honestly, I mean... 
I, I was so enthralled by it that I fell asleep in the middle of it. So <laughs> that should tell you something. I mean, but if you love it, that's fine. I mean, that's the great thing about Transformers is that Hasbro sees to it that there's numerous iterations, you know. If you're three years old, Rescue Bots may be the greatest right. Transformers cartoon you've ever seen. Yeah. If you're 49 years old, maybe you love the Netflix War for Cybertron series. A lot of know. people did. If so, that's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to sway anyone to come over to my side. Right. But you're, you're just saying not for hoof. Yeah. When I see things done like a certain way, like whenever I see, and I say see, because it's not like I'm watching people work on this, but whenever it feels like they ask the question, how can we age this up? Mm-hmm. Then I think you're already running into problems. And somebody's going to say, but you, you two like really were patting Transformers Prime on the back. And they did that thing where Optimus and Megatron are friends. Yeah, they did. And they did it to pretty interesting effect when they had that two-parter, Orion Pax Part 1 and 2. That was interesting. Mm. And it made what Optimus does at the end of that two-parter extremely satisfying. So I'm not going to say it can't be done. I'm just saying that my gut preference is for it. I like this story, not just because it's the one I encountered as a child, but because I like that it has baked into it this idea of like, what does innocence do when it encounters the true monstrous nature of the world? That's a neat question to, to solve with your heroes. And showing that someone with as much capacity and skill as Optimus Prime once was fooled by that person gives us permission to be foolish at times in our lives. And, and the foolishness can point towards growth. That's what gets me excited. Right. So That we're, we can allow ourselves those mistakes because Optimus Prime made those same mistakes. Yeah. And he mirrored our experience or we mirrored his experience. And now we have to mirror his learning from those mistakes. Yeah. That's what I come to this show for, is stuff like that. And also, mm. the cool-looking robots with the crazy laser guns <laughs> doing amazing action. I'm in it for all that stuff, too. But I'm mostly in it for Chip Chase, who hasn't been in the show for a while. <laughs> <laughs> he will never be seen again. Oh, no. No. <laughs> All right, so what episode could we... How could you follow up this episode, Hoover? What episode are we watching next? Well, next, you're going to forget all about Chip Chase because you're going to be the world's biggest Augie Kane fan. (laughs) The Trans-Europe Express. All right. Season 2, episode 42 on Tubi. And maybe... Just maybe the Stunicons are finally going to get a chance to shine and show a bit of their personalities. Oh. Hopefully. Exciting. Roger Carmel, come back to us <laughs> with that rich Carmel-like voice of yours. Uh, Holy cow. <laughs> aptly named. Yeah, for sure. All right. Season 2, episode 42 on Tubi.tv, everybody. Go watch it and then join us next week where we will talk about it and you can see how your opinions stack up to ours. So, if you want to be a guardian robot and strike terror into the hearts of a bunch of boxes that turn into robots, I guess, <laughs> Decepticons, or like loot crates that turn into robots. And you thought Reflector was weird. <laughs> you'll go and write a, or you'll go and give us a five-star review wherever you listen to us. That helps more people find the podcast. And if you are enjoying it, you can't be the only one who enjoys it. Help help a friend out out there in the universe by letting them know, sending out a signal that this thing might be appealing to you, fellow Transformers fan. 
if you want to encounter tremendous personal growth and then when Megatron shoots at you, it just bounces off and, <laughs> and you get to like quote Sylvester Stallone just before you murder like 500 Decepticons. I'm your worst nightmare. <laughs> You'll go write a review wherever you listen to us. And that, that is a huge signal to send to the world. And it's a signal to us to let us know that what we're doing is meaningful to you. So thanks so much to everybody who does do that. It means a lot to us. Just write, not listening to this podcast is your worst nightmare. <laughs> People go, oh, I better listen then. I hate nightmares. <laughs> Remember that nightmare I had? It scared me. I don't want that to happen again. I better go listen to it. <laughs> and then you also, if you encounter a commercial break in your life, if some kind of cliffhanger crosses your path, you know what to do. Spend money. Go to our yep. Tee Public store. <laughs> yeah. It's tpublic.com slash user slash four million years later. And there's no new designs up. Why is that, Jersey? <laughs> What's your problem, Jersey? <laughs> I'm lazy and irresponsible. <laughs> oh, I wasn't expecting such an honest retort. <laughs> He's holding up a cue card, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read it right. I should have read it like the guy from the Spatula City commercial. I am lazy and irresponsible. <laughs> New design's coming. I just got to dig myself out of some, some work trenches and so I can free up a little bit of capacity to do some more drawing. Because I'm, I'm hungry to draw some of the designs that you've been throwing my way. And there, there's, there's some <laughs> cute things coming down the line. So if you're listening to this episode way after it was recorded, you might go there now and find a whole bunch of new designs that we don't even know about. They could be listening four million years in the future. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, you weird humans who have like 12 arms and like no head. <laughs> You might want to get a couple t-shirts for all of your arms. <laughs> I got him. I got him. I made him do what I do all the time on the show. I'm just imagining like a future world that's all apocalyptic, but somehow our tea public store survives. <laughs> it's, it's like a historical landmark, right? There's a plaque on it. Don't You don't get to tear this down. <laughs> This was, this was one of the most important cultural events of the 21st century. <laughs> well, next episode, when Jersey sees Augie Kane, he's bound to be inspired to make six or seven different Augie Kane t-shirts. So. <laughs> Probably. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if humans help them make better choices this next time around. So, <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching it and talking about it with you, Hoover. We record the show weekly. Drops on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and in podcatchers everywhere. Until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I have been Hoover. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com. Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works.